Everyone else, let's turn our Bibles for the last time for a little while to the book of Psalms. Psalm 72, the conclusion of book two. It's been almost two years since we started our study in the Psalms, and so I think it'd be useful to give one reminder before we dive into Psalm 72. I mean for this sermon series not just to be me teaching you what individual Psalms say. Rather, my goal is that through teaching you these Psalms, I also instruct you in a way to worship God privately, corporately, by use of the Psalms. So I want to do that again today. I want to give you a big idea that I believe sums up Psalm 72. And then I'd like to apply in three ways how you should use this Psalm in your individual life, in our corporate and society life, and ultimately in your allegiance to Jesus Christ as our King. That's the game plan, and I hope it's not just for today, for this hour, but really as an instrument, as a tool, as a gift for you tomorrow morning, next week, two years from now, ten years from now, that the Psalter, the Psalms, they would shape your affections, they would transform your heart, they would renew your mind, that your Thoughts of God would be aligned with the way that God is revealed in the Psalms. The way that you feel sadness and lament would draw you back to the Psalms. The way you feel anger and the need for demanding justice for the unjust and and ungodly sins you see all around the world. For the need for patience to cry out, "How, how long, O Lord, how long? Brothers and sisters, we have an amazing gift in the book of Psalms. And we've made it 72 weeks in our study. And we're not done yet, but we will take a break. And for now, we have one more to finish before that break, and we pick up First Peter next week. So, big idea, three ways to use the psalm. Big idea is this. Psalm 72 is a prayer requesting that God's king will reign forever with God's righteousness so that everyone on earth will be blessed, especially the poor and oppressed. I wrote that big idea and I realized I rhymed. So I decided, let's say it again, rhythmically. Psalm 72 is a prayer and request for justice to be possessed by a king forever blessed who cares for the oppressed. However you like it, poetically or just matter-of-factly, Psalm 72 is a prayer request. That God's king reigns forever with the righteousness of God so that everyone on the earth would be blessed, especially the poor and the oppressed. Follow along as I read Psalm 72 of Solomon. Give the king your righteousness, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy, and crush the oppressor. May they fear you while the sun endures as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days, may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon 
be no more. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. For he delivers the needy when he calls. The poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy. And saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence he redeems their life. And precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live. May gold of Sheba be given to him. May prayer be made for him continually and blessings invoked for him all the day. May there be abundance of grain in the land on the tops of the mountains. May it wave. May its fruit be like Lebanon and may people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun May people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God indeed. Three ways to use this psalm. Again, the poem, Psalm 72, is a prayer and request for justice to be possessed by a king forever blessed who cares for the oppressed. Number one, read Psalm 72 and use it as a heartfelt and personal prayer. For in fact, this is my best guess as to what this psalm is, a heartfelt and personal prayer of an aging father praying for his son. Of Solomon, happens two times in the Psalms. Here's your first of two times that a psalm begins, of Solomon. So who's the aging father praying for his son? If you've been tracking along in our sermon series, Or if you haven't, go back to the last two Psalms where I have argued, I think David is at the end of his life, at the end of book two of the Psalms. And I believe Psalm 72 is a prayer that David prayed. I can't be 100% sure, but I think based on context and location and placement of this Psalm, I think we've got fair grounds. Plus, notice the way the Psalm begins. Notice the way the Psalm ends. The prayers of David. Now, all of book one and two are not written by David or attributed to David, so that's not like a done deal. This was definitely written by David, but it's a good clue that David wrote this prayer or said this prayer. John Calvin, the great reformer, theologian, his view of Psalm 72 was that David on his deathbed as an old aged man prayed these words and Solomon wrote them down. I don't know if Calvin's right. But it does create the picture based on where we've been in this series of these last two sermons coming to this third one. David's old, great hair. He's now thinking his time's almost done. And so he prays for his son. In case you're wondering, the of Solomon could mean that Solomon wrote it down because David said these words to him. But another reason 
I think this is a prayer of David, is that the preposition of could actually just be to. A psalm to my son Solomon. I don't know about you, but I'm a father. And as I just think about this, an old man praying for his dear son, I think that it leads you and me to pray these words with heartfelt personal prayers for our children, parents. Read this. To God the Father, and insert your son, your daughter. Oh God, give John Michael Howell your justice and your righteousness. Wives, pray this for your husband. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Children, use Psalm 72 and pray this for your parents. Say, God, may my parents defend the cause of the poor, give deliverance to the children of the needy. Use the words of scripture and let those words shape the actual prayer of requests that you make to God. Are any of you thinking, I don't know, Pastor Phil, this seems like a very specific prayer for a king in Israel. Are you sure this would be appropriate a way for us to pray for our, our children, our husbands, our parents? Seems a little far-fetched to me. Some of you are like, no, I wasn't thinking that, but that's a good question. Well, my answer is, yes, I do think it's an appropriate way for two reasons. Reason number one, generally, I think you should use the Bible to instruct and inform the way you pray. Just a general observation. This is a good practice. Pray over scripture. Every single week, you should see modeled here at Embassy somebody reading a scripture and then praying over it. David did an excellent job praying Luke 1 over us, using the words of Luke 1 in his prayer of praise. It's a great way to pray. Generally speaking, you should just do that. You don't know what to pray? Pray the Bible. Second reason, particularly because of Psalm 72, I think you have theological evidence and biblical evidence in this psalm that you could pray for any human on the earth. Psalm 72. Look at verses 8 and 9. May he, now we're, we're talking about the king, the son of David, Solomon, may he have dominion from sea to sea. But almost every commentator points out this word dominion, it's not as common as you might think. And the first time it's used to talk about a human ruling is actually Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. And God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness so that they would rule and have dominion. There's our word. Are you sure that the psalmist is thinking about Genesis just from that one word? Maybe not, but look at verse 9. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. Can you think of an enemy who was cursed to slither on the ground and lick the dust? Second echo allusion to the book of Genesis. If that weren't enough, you could just read Psalm 8 because you're in Psalm 72. And you've already read Psalm 8, presumably, and at this point of reading through the Psalms, you would know that Psalm 8 emphatically declares that man, all of humans, are crowned with glory and honor. Being image bearers, every single one of you, whether you're a parent, a child, a man, or a woman, you have been given the status of prince or princess, royalty, 
Do you see that first verse? It says, give the king your justice, O God, your righteousness to the royal son. Now, I, I want to admit, this is talking about a specific royal son, and I believe that son is Solomon. But I don't think it's limited to Solomon in the broader scope of Scripture. And I think that the reference and allusions to the book of Genesis in the middle of our psalm might then make you and I see that, in fact, you could pray Psalm 72 for every single person on the planet. The original dignity and status of every human being was to be a ruler, a prince, princess, royal son, or daughter. That's not just a dignity and a status that you have. It is also the destiny that Jesus Christ will reestablish when he returns. This is our reality, both in the created order that God made and in the coming kingdom that's on its way, already started and established. So, yes, I think it's entirely appropriate for you to pray this for your son, your daughter, your mom, your dad, your husband, your wife, your neighbor, your coworker. Therefore, point one. Read Psalm 72 personally, with heartfelt inserting of those that you love, just like David did. A prayer of an aging father for his son. Who would you like to pray for today using Psalm 72? How might you use this psalm this week to pray for your children? It's a great idea, isn't it? It's not mine but I commend it. Point two, read Psalm 72 and use it as God's divinely inspired word of wisdom about authority. This is a kingly royal psalm. That's obvious, isn't it? From the first verse to the superscription of Solomon, to the whole idea of reigning and ruling, but the poetic imagery gives us the pausing, meditative second look at our psalm and notice that we can glean lessons about authority and apply them to our lives. This is, in fact, what we call in the Bible the wisdom literature. This middle section of the Bible, which is poetry, psalms, proverbs, ecclesiastes. So I've got four lessons for you. I didn't even make these up either. These are all straight from Mark Dever's sermon from Together for the Gospel. And the reason I'm giving these is because Mark Dever's sermon, not only my mentor, gave a message on David's final words as an old man from 2 Samuel. And if you read that passage and listen to Mark's sermon, you'll realize that it's so similar, let's just be useful. So, as one wise, aged mentor of mine passed down to me lessons about authority, I pass down to you from this psalm, but the way Dever summarizes it, I think, is helpful. Lesson number one, God is the supreme ruler and source of all human authority. This is obvious in our psalm. Give the king whose justice? Your justice, O God. Your righteousness to the royal son. Who is the supreme ruler and source of every human authority? God. There is no authority that exists on the earth, whether in the home, in the church, or in the civic sphere that does not exist except by God giving that authority to that person. Even the very status of being an image bearer isn't something that you earn or something that you can grow up into. It's something that you just are and have. Romans 13 makes this quite plain, doesn't it? This is Romans 13, 1 and 2. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. 
And in this context, Paul is talking about the Roman Empire, the corrupt Roman Empire. Have you ever heard an American complain about the American government? A Christian talk about how they feel suffocated by the religious persecution? Do some history lessons. Learn what it's like to be a Christian under Nero. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. Nero is Caesar 2,000 years ago because of God giving him that position of authority. He, he does not just have that. All those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists an authority resists what God has appointed. Brothers and sisters, in our statement of faith, we agree as a church community that we should subject ourselves to the human institutions insofar as they don't cause us to disobey Jesus Christ, the one who has supreme authority. So first and foremost, realize that every position of authority, even just your status as image bearer, is a gift given. God gives his righteousness to rulers. Lesson number two. If you establish the fact that God is the supreme ruler and the source of all human authority, well, second, that authority should reflect God's authority and bless all people, especially the weak. Our authority is given to us by God, lesson one. Lesson two, therefore we should reflect the character of God in the dominion and rule of our authority, especially in the way we care for the weak. Look again at verses 12 to 14. This is especially sweet, edifying meditation. Verse 12. For he delivers the needy when he calls, the poor in him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life and precious is their blood in his sight. Read that again and again this week like I have been. Precious is the needy's blood in the sight of the mighty, strong, powerful, wealthy King Solomon. What a prayer. Could you imagine David on his deathbed looking at his son and saying, Solomon, I pray that God Almighty would grant you such reign and rule over every nation of the earth so that when the needy call, you see their blood as precious. Oh, I hope you see the wisdom and the upside-down nature of God's rule in this upside-down, sinful, crooked world. If any of you are physically stronger than someone else in this room, I ask you, do you use your physical strength to help the weak? Are any of you intellectually smarter or more educated than your peers? Then is it your aim to use your knowledge and education to build up others rather than puff yourself up? As a little side note, this week I had the accomplishment of turning in a PhD dissertation. Please no applause because the point I'm trying to make is I would honestly and sincerely prefer that you all never refer to me as Dr. Phil or Dr. Howell. And I mean this in all sincerity, but because it is kind of funny, if you would like to call me the new Dr. Phil since the old one's retiring, we, we, we are allowed to have humor as a church. But I really don't want you to understand that I did this for status. I did this in my heart of hearts to grow in my knowledge of scripture to serve you as God's people because you're precious in my sight. 
So I ask you to please respect my request, and unless in good fun or poking jab, Pastor Phil will serve just fine. I am your servant, and the term pastor means shepherd. And like the great high shepherd who gave his life for his sheep by spilling his blood, I would like to give my years an extra time that I have not writing a dissertation to serve you. Are you more popular or famous than other people? Will you use that influence to serve others? Are you more blessed with wealth than the average person in our society, in this church? Then I ask you, how might you use your wealth to cheerfully give to the poor and needy, stewarding the gift that is your wealth and great humility? Do you have any political capital, relational capital? Then spend it to serve and help others that are in need, that are less fortunate than you. Do you see the lesson? God's authority blesses the poor, the needy, and the oppressed. That's not just Psalm 72. You read the whole Bible and do it again and again and see if you don't see that God especially righteously loves and cares for the oppressed. And he turns his ear to those who call when they cry out. That's what his authority looks like. That's what it means to be king of the universe. To give people that don't deserve it grace and mercy. So, if you want to reflect that authority, and I ask you to examine your own heart and life and discipling relationships in this local church and be honest about whether or not you are abusing the authority that you have. It is to be used for good, to bless all people, but especially the weak. Which leads us to point three, lesson three. Lessons about authority. Good authority bears good fruit. This just comes right out of Psalm 72. This imagery and language of fruit bearing. If you were listening very carefully, Daniel got up for us and read for us 2 Samuel 7. And I do think there's a link between the promise in 2 Samuel 7 and the prayer of Psalm 72. And one of those is the imagery of planting. I will plant, not crops, people. So read the prosperity of the people and this water language in Psalm 72 as the blessing of God on his people. Look at verse 3. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. Verses 5 to 7. May he, meaning the king, may the rain of God's king be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. I'm about to head to the Middle East in the desert. These people were from the arid Middle Eastern desert. Could you imagine the blessing that rain was after the mown grass, meaning, oh, God's going to bless us with food for tomorrow. Verses 15 and 16. May there be abundance of the grain in the land on the tops of the mountains. May it wave. May its fruit be like Lebanon. And may people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. You will know that you're accurately reflecting the righteous reign of God in whatever stewardship that is in your life. Husband over a wife, parents over children, elder over a church, boss over a worker, employee. If it's obvious that they are flourishing under your leadership, fruitfulness. Is that obvious? with the things that you have stewardship of in your life. Lesson number four. If God is the supreme ruler and the source of all human authority, 
And that should be used to reflect God's righteousness and goodness to bless people, especially the weak. And that that looks like bearing good fruit, then we must acknowledge, as our psalm does, authority can be used very badly. Our psalm does not shy from this reality. In fact, it's part of why the psalm, I think, exists. Look at verse 4. The language in verse 4 says that may he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy, and crush the oppressor. Why else does the poor need defended and the children of the needy defended and the crush oppressed if there was not abusive authority in the world? Or look at verse 9. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. Who are these enemies that will lick the dust if they aren't manifestations of the seed of the woman, seed of the serpent? The book of Genesis says will be crushed by the seed of the woman. Or verses 12 and 14, why do the needy and the poor even need to call for help? And as our psalm painfully points out, too often they call for help. And no one comes to help. Verse 14, why are there people made in God's image that are being violently oppressed? The answer is because authority is badly used in this world. So I suggest that in our use of Psalm 72, very pointedly, as you think about just general society, we've already talked about personally using this psalm for prayer, corporately, broadly. Use Psalm 72 to pray for your elders Pray for me. Pray for Etienne. Pray for deacons. Pray for other churches and their pastors, as I tried to model just a few minutes ago as we prayed for Redemption Bible Church and Covenant Hope Church. We want to pray that Psalm 72 would be the kind of righteous authority that's spread throughout all of the earth by godly men who demonstrate Christ-like authority in the home and in the church. Use Psalm 72 to pray for those women who have domineering and abusive husbands and use the Bible to demand submission in very unhelpful and ungodly ways. Pray that there would be godly men and women that would come alongside of those women. Pray that we would be the kind of church that cares for the oppressed and reflects Psalm 72 for those oppressed women. Women in this room, I want you to know that it is the aim of embassy elders and this church, as far as it's existed, to be a source of refuge for you to come and have us address the abuse that's going on in your home if there is some. We do not want to give the deaf ear. We want to turn our ear to abusive husbands and find protection for those women. Please, I pray you'd reach out. We're listening. Use Psalm 72 to pray for city officials, teachers, principals, mayors, governors, senators, judges, and our president. Oh God, give President Joe Biden your justice. Give your righteousness to the Supreme Court judges. May they judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. And may the mountains bear the prosperity of the people here in the United States of America. May the hills be resounding with your righteousness because of these men and women. Oh, and may they defend the cause of the poor. 
and give deliverance to the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. Use Psalm 72. With gleaning words of wisdom and praying for those that are in authority. Third and finally, I've encouraged you to read it as a heartfelt and personal prayer because of observing the way that David and his aged life is turning to his son and praying for him. So read it personally. Secondly, read it as these divine inspired words of wisdom about authority and pray for those in authority in our world. But most importantly, read and use Psalm 72 as a messianic message that fills your heart with supreme allegiance to Jesus Christ who through his birth, death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and promised return fulfills Psalm 72. There's just no way this psalm is about just David or Solomon. It's impossible. We already know. The prayers were not answered if they were. So either you have the option of Psalm 72, God didn't hear his prayer, or that it was delayed in some of its fulfillment, that there was partial fulfillment for Solomon and full fulfillment in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we don't have to guess. On this side of the cross, brothers and sisters, we know Psalm 72 is a messianic. Messianic just means anointed one, anointed king. David is the anointed king, passing on to his son Solomon, the next anointed king. And by the way, that's the word Christ. Christ means anointed one, Messiah. All same word, just different languages. It's just funny how that works, right? But read it messianically as a message about the one true anointed king who will fulfill everything that we just read about, who reigns with righteousness and justice. I mean, if you look down at verses 9 to 11, let me point out two very obvious ways that this is clearly not fulfilled by Solomon. First, verses 9, 10, and 11, the reach of this reign. Verse 9 says, may desert tribes bow down before him. Now, desert tribes would have been the tribes to the east. So now we're talking all the way to the east. But the enemies would lick the dust. And again, I think this is the seeds of the serpent. So crushing the serpent's head. Verse 10, may the kings of Tarshish and the coastland. So now we're going to the west. Kings to the west are going to bow down before this king and render him tribute. And now may the kings of Sheba and Seba. Now we're talking to the south. Bring him gifts. And if you didn't get it by verse 10, because your geography in the Middle East and the ancient world is a little off, you get the point in verse 11. May all kings bow down and fall down before him. All nations serve him. Bible study quiz time. At what point in Solomon's reign did every single tribe, king, and nation from every direction that you could think about bow down before King Solomon? And some of you rightly should be like, well, Queen Sheba, Sheba, did come up and pay tribute and give gifts to Solomon, just like this psalm talks about. And in that sense, we'd say, yeah, this prayer was answered and fulfilled in Solomon's lifetime partially, but not fully, not to this reach of his reign. That never happened. In fact, most of you already know the story. This man, Solomon, abused his authority and abused women, multiple wives, hoarding wealth for himself, not the man who listens to the oppressed. Secondly, the reach of his reign did not get fulfilled by Solomon. The length of his reign 
Solomon's dead. David's dead. David, Solomon, one of his sons, on the throne in Israel right now? Is that happening? Verse 15, long may he live. May gold of Shiva be given to him. May prayer be made for him continually and blessings invoked for him all the day. May there be abundance of grain in the land on the tops of the mountains. May it wave. May its fruit be like Lebanon and may people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him and all nations call him blessed. Long may he live. May his name endure forever and ever As long as the sun shines, may there be a king on the throne of Israel reigning with God's righteousness. Brothers and sisters, Solomon is no longer on the throne. His reign ended drastically. The kingdom split into two, from power and wealth to division and destruction. That's the story of the people of Israel at this point of the kingly line of David to Solomon and their sons. They did not have that kind of reach. They did not have that kind of length in their reign. Yes, there were good times, and yes, there was partial fulfillment. But no, I hope you see that these prayers were not fully answered or fulfilled by David or any of his sons. But I don't believe David's prayer was in vain, and I believe that it has already been answered in the person and in the work of our son, God's son, Jesus Christ. God did hear David's prayer fully. The royal son in verse 1 is none other than Jesus Christ. Do you remember in Matthew's gospel when we were going through the Christmas Advent devotions and you're reading about Matthew chapter 2? Jesus is born from the east. They come and they bring him gifts because the greater son of David has arrived. And they bow down before him and they say, King of kings. You see, even in Jesus' birth and his incarnation, the nations of the world are bowing before him and bringing gifts, like the gifts of Sheba. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I know that so many of you have read the Gospels, heard about Jesus, and it's hard not to be so compelled by the life this man lived as he cared for the poor and the needy and the oppressed. It takes your breath away. It's dumbfounding. It's, it's amazing to watch this man work crowds and have a busy life. He's busy, but he's never too busy for the poor widow. He's never too busy for the woman that can't stop bleeding. He'll stop and put all of the disciples away and bow down and say, children, come to me. Isn't he beautiful? Isn't the righteousness of God on display in the face of Christ just breathtakingly beautiful that he who has all the riches of the universe as creator and ruler of heaven comes down into the humble manger and then walks this earth and bows before little children and says, come, you're not insignificant. Leper, outcast of society, I want you here. Welcome to the tax collector and the sinner. The despised and rejected are never shut out from Jesus Christ. See the beauty of the face of Christ fulfilling Psalm 72. And then the prosperity of the people, the wholeness over and over again. Psalm 72 uses the word shalom. That's a better translation because it's the real word of prosperity. Wholeness, completeness, fullness, 
Broken people become restored and renewed when they meet Jesus. Study the Gospels and see Psalm 72 again and again because he has passion, compassion, and pity on the weak. Saving, literally saving people's lives from hell and wrath and damnation. Doesn't our psalm say that he saves the lives of the needy in verse 13? Yes, he came to save. That's why he came. So that you would know that God does care about injustice. He is righteous and he does not turn a blind eye to your oppression. And every single husband will give an account. Either on the cross or in hell. This is the God who reigns. We can take great comfort and we can bow down with just utter admiration and worship because we know this is not a figment of our imagination. This is, it is historical reality. I'm not telling you fairy tales and stories. I'm talking to you about a human who walked this earth fully displaying the fullness of God. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He's so amazing. And if you read Psalm 72 and not find your way to Jesus Christ, you're missing out on all that Psalm 72 has for you. If the king is displaying and marking the love of God and the righteousness of God, then we need to conclude our time with this phrase, because precious is their blood in his sight. Now think about that phrase in light of the Son of God. Precious is, put your name, Philip Howell, in his sight. I will spill my blood for you, Philip Howell. Can you do that? Can you receive that gift? Some of you, I know this is hard. Your legalism, your pride, does not allow you to receive the gift of just unmatched mercy that flows from the fountain of the gospel of Christ. But here it is, right here in our text. Precious is you in his sight. He shed his blood on the cross, not because he was a sinner, not because 2 Samuel 7 was being fulfilled when you read the, if my son's don't obey and keep my covenant. I will discipline them with the rods of men. Jesus was beat with the rods of men in all four gospel accounts because he became the son of David, including the curse and the judgment that these men should have received. His death on the cross, his whipping and lashings, and his blood was spilled precisely because he is the righteous king, the one and only king. I pray that you will use Psalm 72 to give you just utter amazement at the fact that this is what ultimate reality is in the person of Jesus. That's love defined. This is righteousness. This is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He saw our blood as precious and was willing to spill his blood because of his great compassion and pity on our poor state. And if your heart is too hard to not receive that compassion and pity, then have mercy on your soul. All of us here as members of this church have only become members of Embassy Church because we have humbled ourselves before the cross and said, that should have been me. 
my blood should have been spilled, but he saw me as precious and took my place on the cross for my sins. I was an oppressor. I was supposed to be an image bearer that was reflecting the righteous rule of God, but in my sin, I have been a horrible reflection of God's righteousness and his reign. But praise be to God, through the gospel of Christ, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, the ascended king reigns, Jesus Christ. So I believe the ascension of Christ and the return that is promised is the fulfillment of Psalm 72. And no, I'm not saying that because I'm obsessed about the ascension. I think you would come to that same conclusion too. If you read and reread the Bible, you'll see this idea of king. Jesus is that king, and we know that because he's on his throne right now. So what better thing to do than to respond with praise, repentance of sin, longing to be more like him, obedience to his commandments, complete and utter worship. Let's do it. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your Son. Thank you for the beauty of his life. The way that he perfectly and utterly fulfills every aspect of Psalm 72 and then some. Thank you. For the matchless name of Jesus, all hail the power of Jesus' name and angels prostrate fall. We join the chorus of the angels now and give allegiance to the human king, Jesus Christ, our representative, our savior, our Lord, our master. What a good master he is. And we want to pray that the Holy Spirit would change our hearts so that we would want to be more like him in our homes and in our workplaces. And we want to see that reign reflected. May Embassy Church be so marked out by the love of Jesus that it would be a prophetic witness to the rest of the world what it would look like to truly reign and rule rightly. So I want to ask that you would get glory and praise, that you would give it to your son, and that it would be applied to our hearts, and that even now as we take the bread and the cup, we would do so in a way that would honor you in fear of you in submission to you. I pray, God, that all of the ungodly and unbiblical and unhelpful ideas of submission would be washed away as we see Jesus Christ as our example. We thank you for the ways that he has demonstrated for us what it means to be a human. And whatever our calling is, and whatever our position, whatever our status, our wealth, or education, may we be like him, using all of our riches and wealth and become poor so that others can become rich. We thank you for the beauty of this good news. In Jesus' name, amen.